And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you live around 11 a.m. on Friday morning, the morning after the Celtics in kind of a, a very bizarre game uh, where the Celtics make a, I would say, I don't want to say miraculous, but that was the first word that came to mind. Miraculous comeback to close this game uh, against the New York Knicks. Miraculous is a little strong. It's a little strong, but I didn't come up with a better word. Um, and so we'll, we'll say uh, impressive comeback in the final six minutes of this game against the Knicks to send it to overtime and then utterly choke away the game. Jalen Brown with a chance, seven seconds left, two free throws, his team down one, misses both, and the Celtics lose to the New York Knicks 120-117. to 117. They're on a three-game losing streak. Jay, what the hell happened out there? Uh, I mean, they they started off great. That like, first stretch <laughs> of the first quarter, I think they made 10 of their first 14 shots. They made five of their first six threes. And then everything went went away. They just I, they really are missing Marcus Smart. I think um, just the way he organizes their offense, just the way he gets the ball to their better players, just the way he sets up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and advantageous situations. I thought their defense was pretty good for most of the game. What they turned the ball over and were giving up transition bucket after transition bucket. Julius Randle hit a bunch of tough shots. Like, some really tough shots. Some that had Al Horford looking at the bench in disgust. <laughs> like, like what just happened there? How did he make that step-back three-pointer in my mug? Um, I didn't I didn't think the defense was that bad. Um, but it was the offense. It was, especially, the, like, the beginning of the fourth quarter, the offense was, was dreadful. Ugly. Ugly beginning of the fourth quarter. Um they they struggled in the third quarter. I thought the defense was was not great. Um, I thought it was better when Al Horford and Robert Williams were on the court. Uh, but they, they to me they just really struggled to stop any sort of uh, dribble penetration. And Jalen Brunson at one point in the game was like eleven for eighteen, and he seemed to be able to get into the paint at will. Julius Randle drove pretty easily. Had some impressive dunks on Jason Tatum that um, and Horford. You know, 
and Horford. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that, but you mentioned the start of the fourth quarter. Celtics entered that quarter down six. It was when both Randall and Brunson went to the bench, and it's like weird to be like, oh, the Celtics need to take advantage of those moments, but they, they had really had a struggle stopping both of those guys in the third quarter. Jason Tatum was also on the bench, and the offense was just bad. Uh, we well, had, that's kind of what had, the Knicks, Knicks defense does. Their Knicks second unit does. Like, that group comes in and has high energy. They're super athletic. They force turnovers. They're they get out in transition, uh, but the but turnovers, the turnovers, by turnovers were just un, unforced. Unforced. Malcolm yeah, Brogdon dribbles off his foot. Peyton Pritchard throws away an inbound pass. Jalen Brown just gets in the middle lane and has no idea what he's going to do and just throws it to the wrong team. It ends up getting deflected, goes out of bounds. Jalen Brown just dribbling behind his back, off his foot, out of bounds. The refs call it the wrong way, like make the Knicks wasted challenge for no reason. But yeah, it, it was it was ugly offense. It was bad offense, and it was just that like that that stretch to me was what cost them. They pulled within four early in the fourth, and then just had four turnovers in a two minute stretch that just ruined them. And they ended up coming back. Jason Tatum got to the rim time after time after time during the comeback. Um, but what when you it? look back at it, it's not real. I don't think it was like the last shot that he had or even the free throws Jalen missed. It's like that stretch at the beginning of the fourth when you're down four at home, have a chance to take control and just do stupid nonsense for two straight minutes. That's tough to come back from. I mean, they, the Celtics really only played 12, maybe 14 good minutes of basketball. And it's weird because it was like the first six minutes, as you mentioned, where they hit all those shots and opened the game five of six from three. And then the final six minutes of regulation, like with six minutes left in the game, they were down by 12. Randall checks back in and the Celtics just defensive pressure and scheme really changed. And they started like being like, okay, Quentin Grimes, you're the one who's going to beat us. They really upped the ball pressure on both Brunson and Randall, and I thought like they did a really good job of getting the Knicks out of rhythm because it felt like before that point, Randall and um, Brunson were kind of scoring with ease. And I like you have to give the Celtics some credit for you know closing that twelve point gap. And Jason Tatum was just phenomenal, just getting to the rim, attacking, uh, and like even sending to the game to overtime. Like I, I thought it was like a showed the Celtics could kind of up their defensive intensity. They won that quarter by six. They were able to force it to overtime. Um, but then that kind of late game execution and offense came back to, to kind of bite them in the ass in that overtime. They get out to a quick lead. They knock down two shots, but then they just only score two points uh, over the final three and a half minutes. And, and some of think- it was just bad luck, honestly. Yeah, I think if like the Jason there's... Tatum got to the rim with the lefty layup. That that was an interesting possession. Um because Al Horford in transition was trying to post up Jalen Brunson and had like pretty good post up position on Jalen Brunson with Brunson on him. And Tatum kind of waved him off. And Tatum was going, so I get it. But but also like it's tough to wave off your big man when he has Jalen Brunson on him and is like five, four or five feet away from the rim. It's also uh, like they randomly decided like the, the Celtics had a lot of second chance points in this game. I thought it did a pretty good job on the glass 15 offensive rebounds for 21 uh, second chance points. But in that overtime, 
there was like a miss at the rim and you have a situation where it felt like kind of like a hockey situation where both Al Horford and Robert Williams are like on the four check and we're kind of like trying to pin a guy under the basket. But then it just bleeds out and uh, R.J. Barrett gets a wide open three in the corner in transition. And that's like kind of what puts the Knicks up. There were some like kind of just weird flukes like that where it's like, I don't I don't know if we need both of you guys going for this offensive rebound and just like letting that transition three bleed out. Um, and like other than I think the Malcolm Brogdon shot uh, where he just kind of started a possession and took an early shot clock three. I didn't really dislike the process by the Celtics. Malcolm Brogdon also missed. Even that one, they three. went under the screen, as I remember, and he just yeah, like, I don't hate it. It was just like an earlier, <laughs> not earlier shot, and like but they did a, a really good job. It was open off the dribble, Malcolm Brogdon look, yeah. Uh, but they had another possession where he missed a three in the corner, but that was like a really good ball movement one. I think it was like a short roll by Al, who did a good job to find him. Like I thought they some created some good looks. Like Tatum was going to the rim. Uh, it's just it didn't happen to fall there, and then. They still had a chance to win. Jalen Brown steps to the line. And I don't I I didn't want to say it out loud, but like as he was stepping to the line, I was like, oh, he's probably gonna miss one of these. And then he ended up missing both. And I don't know what it is about Jalen Brown with free throws. He's just not he doesn't inspire confidence from the line. And he didn't need just like miss them. He was he was pretty well short on both of those free throw attempts. Yeah, and he's gotten so much better on free throws since he got into the league. Like when when he got to the NBA, he was a very shaky free throw shooter. Um, and he's talked about how it was like mental at the time, and like it it seemed pretty mental because he's always been at least a pretty good three point shooter. This is actually the worst three point shooting season of his career percentage wise, which is a little weird. Um. But free throw percentage, he he was up near 80%. He's been up near 80% most of the season. He's dipped under that now. He's at 78.5%. But he's become a pretty good free throw shooter. And uh, I don't know if some of the the mental stuff is still there in key moments. But th- those weren't even close. They were short-armed. They, they both, like, just very short. Like, th- he didn't even really give them a chance. Um so, yeah, and I thought he struggled. He he didn't have the best game, um, which he mentioned after the game. He's like, those free throws are emblematic of my entire performance tonight. I didn't think um, he was great, and in I thought he was going to come out strong because he was not named to the All Star team, and we can get to that later. Um, but just getting back to this kind of the offensive struggles, this is something Joe Mazzula mentioned after the game, and looking at the shot chart right now on NBA.com, a lot of red X's in the paint for the Celtics. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily describe them as smoked bunnies. It wasn't like they were uh, very open layups that they just happened to miss. Um, Joe Mazzulla described it as just like making the wrong rim reads. And it felt like they kind of took a lot of difficult layups. Um, And Mazzulla stressed how important making the right rim reads uh, is for the offense because he said it's just like making the wrong decision in that situation is just as bad as basically a turnover because you're really you're setting yourself up for poor transition defense. And it just felt like I don't even know exactly what the Knicks were doing. They were without Mitchell Robinson and their defense is just like so much better when Mitchell Robinson is on the court. But the Celtics, whatever the reason, just when attacking the rim, just seemed to um, 
go up with a, a lot of uh, nonsense and tomfoolery that did not result in many points. Yeah. Yeah, it it was not their best offensive performance. And I do think some of that just gets back to having Smart. Smart has become such a good point guard for them. And, and the kind of point guard that they need to get Tatum into the right matchup. Like, that's the stuff that kind of goes unnoticed sometimes is, is how good Marcus Smart is at analyzing where the right matchup is, creating that matchup, and then finding the player in that matchup. And, like, they they were able to do it down the stretch. Tatum was just ruthless going at Julius Randle and Jericho Sims over the last five minutes of regulation especially. But, like, from the standpoint of the entire game, Smart is really good at getting the Celtics some easy buckets, whether it's a Jalen Brown backdoor, um, Jason Tatum, like, against point guards, whatever the case may be, like, he is very good at, at at creating those buckets, at finding those opportunities, and getting the Celtics into what they should be in. And I, I do think they've they've missed that a lot over these last three games. I mean, before the Knicks game, the Orlando and Miami games were two of the worst offensive ratings the Celtics have had all season, two of the five worst. And obviously the, the Miami game – like everybody was out. It wasn't just smart. It was everybody but Tatum, basically. Um, but having smart is a big deal, not just for defense. He's the defensive player of the year, but but for that offense, like it's a it's a major loss. And it sounds like he's gonna probably miss some more time. I don't know how much more time, but but they have to manage that better offensively while he's gone. Yeah, I think like it's it's very cliche. But like Marcus Smart just impacts winning with all the kind of small intangible stuff that he does. Um, and I'm just remembering back to when I was in Charlotte and like talking with Nick Friedman after the game. And after both games, Nick he Friedman just is like, an assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets. Yes, assistant and coach Packers for Charlotte best Hornets. Friend. And yes, but after both of the games, he would just he just said to me, "God damn, Marcus Smart's so fucking good." And there's just like so many little things that he does that like helps the team on both ends of the court, whether it's just fighting through screens or calling out defensive sets or just setting up, uh, as you mentioned, like his team on offense. Um, it's very cliche at this point to say he impacts winning, but he like everything he does is just such a positive for the Celtics that it like it makes sense that they're struggled offensively um, in his absence or struggled on both ends in his absence. But I like didn't think it would be uh to this extent and i guess the the they really should have won this game like i think they're a better team than the knicks the knicks are uh a lot better than i like i think this is my first time seeing them this year like like jalen brunson at some points was just like unguardable and i don't really understand it because he is so small but he is so good with his pivot foot and so shifty that like he was really getting into the paint i thought marcus smart would you know would have been somewhat of a deterrent on that end but the Knicks are a solid team, um, but the Celtics, if they played, you know, somewhat decent basketball in the third quarter or took advantage of that start of the fourth quarter or just didn't have uh, kind of the mess ups uh, in overtime, they still probably should have won this game. Um, there's something else that's hovering out there that I feel like we need to talk about, and that is 
Grant Williams. He has been struggling. And he's, uh, I think, post-January, he's shooting something like 32% from three, 40% from the field. Uh, it feels like his turnovers are way up. His mistakes are way up. Um, I know single game plus minus isn't the best stat, but he was a minus 18 in his 21 minutes last night. And the question is, is what what's going on with Grant here? Uh, because I just he hasn't been as sharp as he certainly was uh, earlier in the season. I don't think it's like a a big thing. Uh, like defensively, there have definitely been times where he's been beaten off the dribble, and that's that's probably the thing that's that's most meaningful. Uh, but you look at the stats, like. He shot 44.4% from three in December. That's down to about 35% in January, which isn't great, but isn't like killer either. Um, And that's only a 14-game stretch. Over the longer-term sample, he's at like 42% for the season. I don't think it's like something to worry about. Um, I don't think it's like a, a huge concern, but I do think like one of the reasons the Celtics lost that game is because the Knicks completely, Knicks bench completely obliterated the Celtics bench. And with Marcus Smart out, like Grant Williams becomes your seventh man and you need him to be playing much better than he is right now. It kind of feels like he got a lot of credit for adding stuff to his offensive game, especially things off the dribble and playmaking and kind of floaters. And it just feels like he's gotten a little too comfortable and a little too ambitious in that regard. And it leads to some mistakes or taking some shots that he probably are not in his regular shot profile. I do think the shooting will return. It feels like he's pretty automatic if he can give you that uh, pump fake sidestep. But it just feels like he got a little too comfortable being off the dribble Grant Williams, which is just not, not his strong suit. I mean, he's taking seven shots a game in January. Jay, don't don't combat my half, eye test half with your of, statistics. This half of those numbers. are three pointers. I think the the hype about his off the dribble game was probably a little too much. Like he's well, not yeah. out there just. <laughs> Just That's cook. what I'm doing as a fan. I'm going to hype He's him up. He's not out he there just cooking guys. He is barely taking more two-pointers per game than he did last year. He is shooting exactly the same on two-point attempts that he did last year. Uh, no, nope, Jay. My eye test says he's doing a little too much now and throwing too many turnovers. <laughs> his, his assists have gone up a little bit, which is cool. What about his turnovers, uh, Jay? What about his they've turnovers? They've also gone up a little bit, which is less yeah, cool. That's what the eye test tells me, too. But, yeah, I, I think he has gotten a little bit better at, like, attacking switches off the dribble and, like, when he gets swung to in the corner, but they're able to close out, he does a little bit better job in isolation, it feels like, in those situations. Um, But I do always think the the hype about his off the dribble game and how much it has improved is, was probably a little too much. Have you just um, been talking to to Brad Stevens this whole time? Is this like, yo, can't get too low on his poor performance, can't get too high 
on his I good mean, performances. <laughs> he's got to be neutral here. You were the guy last podcast saying none of this matters. None of this matters. It doesn't matter. And you chastised me, so really now I'm team. now I'm it's overreacting. Like, it's like I I Grant Williams guarded Kevin Durant. He guarded Giannis. He guarded all these guys in the playoffs, and and you want me to be like super worried that he's shooting like 34% from three. I do think some of the defensive stuff, like he has to be a very good defender for them and he has to be able to keep guys in front of him. Um, and, and that's the most important thing. And he has to treat that like the most important thing, but I like, I'm, I'm not sitting here worried about Grant Williams. He, he's going to be totally fine. And realistically, he's like the eighth man. Seventh man, whatever he is, uh, and and I I'm not gonna be worried about that guy. I don't think I said be worried. I just said I and was also, observing a trend. Okay, so you pointed out the the single game minus eighteen, right? Yes, yeah, so you're going to talk about Robert Williams plus twenty one. No, I was just going to say that <laughs> eight of the previous ten games, they outscored opponents with Grant Williams on the court, including a plus 25, a plus 13, a plus 10. No, so, no, but I said I said it's um, it's a single-game plus-minus is a bad stat, um, and it's only oh, okay. relevant yeah, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I cite it. Cool, yeah. I just wanted to point that out there, too. Okay, so. that's fair. Oh, uh, <laughs> what do you think about how like the Celtics feel they're starting, I guess when it's not a back to back and when everyone's healthy, uh, Al Horford and Robert Williams together. And it's like a an interesting rotation to me because it feels like they start together and then they play like a good chunk of the first quarter. That automatically means that there's going to be a Luke Cornette series in the se- in the first half. And then the second half, they kind of feel like, Oh, we, we can't go back to Luke Cornette again. So we kind of have to, um, separate Robert Williams and Al Horford for the third, like early fourth quarter, just to bring them back. Like it feels like the team is, is a lot better um, when both of those guys are on the court, especially Robert Williams. Robert Williams is just such an impact defensively and five offensive rebounds. He continues to just do amazing things. Like I mentioned, 20, 21 plus 21. Although, you know, we all know it's a terrible uh, stat except when it's proving my point, but what do you think about like kind of their rotation and like, if they're going to be playing together, does that mean they need some sort of offensive uh, or like third big who's not Luke Cornett, like as they head into the trade deadline? Because it feels just like a, a kind of a, I don't know, it's just something I noticed that like, okay, when they start, you're going to get a Luke Cornett portion of the second quarter. And Luke Cornett's been good, but it's just generally not putting your best foot forward in terms of defense. And I, and in the second half, I like don't think their defense is as good when only one of the bigs is on the court. And so how do they kind of reconcile that lack of uh, depth at that center position? Yeah, I, I think in the playoffs, most of the time, if they're healthy, it's going to be Horford and Robert Williams and very little, very few minutes for anybody else. That's just the way it's going to go. We saw sort of the beginning of that um, last night. It was, and we've seen sort of the beginning of that lately as Robert Williams starts to play more minutes. He played, I believe it was 36 minutes against the Knicks. Yeah, 36 exactly. Well, that he had the five of overtime. So. Yeah, but still, that's a season high. 
and clear sign that he is getting more and more capable of of playing a full load. And as he does that, um, there's just going to be less and less of a need for that third big. Luke Cornett, just four minutes. Um, Robert Williams, single game plus minus stat sucks, but he was plus 21 and kind of felt like that. Offensive rebounds everywhere. They are they just smash teams on the offensive glass with him on the court. Like they are an awesome offensive rebounding team when he's out there. Totally changes them in that regard. Um so yeah, but but trade deadline wise, I do think the Celtics will go after a another big. And it's not because they don't trust Luke Cornett. They they believe that Cornett is capable of playing in playoff games, but he's limited and, and he does what he does and he does it at a really high level and he's going to protect the rim and he's big, but he's not the quickest guy. He's not the most switchy big. And I think they will be looking for a big who can give them a chance to, to switch more things, to be more versatile defensively. Um, so that they have Cornette if they want to play like that, but also if they want to go switch one through five and need a, a third big, then they have somebody else to kind of go with in that regard. Who is that big on the market that is like known switching defense perimeter defender, but is still over like six foot nine? PJ Washington would kind of fit the mold. I don't uh, know if the he's restricted, right? I don't know if the what would you have to give up to get PJ Washington? I feel I'm like not probably sure, a but first round pick. I'm I'm just throwing out names. Uh Jay Sean Tate would like he he's definitely on the smaller side for a guy like that, but sort of in a Grant Williams, PJ Tucker mold. He's like really strong and could give you like that that type of switchy strength. And but doesn't it all uh, come back to like Grant Williams? Isn't Grant Williams like the guy who by default is in that role now like potentially yeah, to but, play small ball five or is he just not tall enough um to kind of actually rely on him i think that's a feeling that if they play grant at the five they're just too small and not only small at the five but also then you're smaller at the four if it's tatum or brown then you're smaller at the two if it's brogdon or white uh so it just kind of they don't think they would have enough size i think um if if Grant Williams played the five regularly in a playoff series. And I think you could probably go to it sometimes in the right situation. But as we saw last year, like just having options in the playoffs is a big deal. And the Warriors kind of depending on the situation of the game, like they had Demonte Bielitsa if they wanted to go with like a, a bigger guy. They had Otto Porter if they wanted to go to Wayne. They had Gary Payton if they wanted like ball pressure. There was just a lot of different things that they could do and ways that they could play their bench and the Celtics were more limited um now obviously they have Brogdon they could play a little differently they can go smaller um Danilo Gallinari is talking about maybe coming back in the playoffs but we'll see yeah, if he's even on the roster after the trade deadline I'm calling uh, poppycock on Danilo Gallinari playing in the playoffs that would just be insane to me it would um but at the same time um like, I don't think you can rely on that. He might not even be on the roster after the trade deadline. But the Celtics, like, part of the takeaway from last year, I think, was that they know they need to be able to play different ways. 
and and having a big who's a little different than Cornette would be a way to get there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And I think they like they definitely address that a little bit um, with Brogdon, as you mentioned, like they can go smaller and they have multiple kind of like smaller options, whether they bring in Brogdon as that fifth guy or Derek White. Um, and we're probably overanalyzing all this because in the playoffs, like whatever this third person we're talking about is what going to play like some some six minute stretches here or there, if presuming that everyone's healthy. And maybe that's just the reason to go out and get someone is that you can't guarantee health moving forward as we as we've seen over kind of this last stretch of games um but like presumably if they need to go smaller and have a switchier big out there they could also just you know play Al Horford at the 5 who's been switching out onto kind of smaller guards and doing a pretty good job of that for his entire Celtics tenure so yeah and honestly if if they're healthy it's just going to be mostly Horford and Williams no matter what yeah unless you get a a real impact big um, and maybe like Jakobertel would be that where you'd want to play bigger with two bigs more of the time, but Pertle seems like a long shot. Yeah, and I don't. He seems like you'd probably have to give up a lot to get him, and like probably would want a much bigger role than allows for him at the moment. But and who more knows? Money. Then the more sellers money. would probably want to give him. Do you? But go ahead. We we should talk about the trade deadline a little bit more because it's coming up. It is. I, it's coming I don't up. Do you talk about the Celtics trade deadline? Because I don't feel like I have anything more to add than what we just said. Or you want to talk about like OG Ananobi and whether or not he's going to get traded. OG. OG. Could OG be a Celtics target? Uh, No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Why not? Why well, do you just dismiss it? What are they giving? What are they giving up? Multiple first round picks and... Like OG is going to command a sizable trade package. I don't. I would. I actually would doubt if the Raptors trade him. I think the Raptors are absolutely going to trade Van Vliet and Gary Trent. But I don't. I would be shocked if they actually like kind of blew it up entirely. Like OG fits as just another um, sizable wing and adds their kind of wing depth. But I don't know. It feels like the Celtics are uh, in first place, thirty-five and fifteen. And like, I don't see them trading anyone in their top eight because I don't think there's any reason to kind of change the 
the feng shui of the team right now. And you're probably right. They're best in the NBA, not just record-wise. I think they still have the best record. Um, but net rating, like all indications, point toward them as probably the favorite in the NBA right now. And if not that, one of the very short list of favorites. But I wouldn't dismiss the idea that they're looking for an upgrade in that playoff rotation. And I don't think it's going to come now because, like you said, it's it's risky to to add a piece midseason to a team like this that, that clearly has good chemistry on the court, that clearly works together, um, that clearly has a chance to win a championship as constructed. But, but lo- longer term, and maybe even short term, if the right guy's out there, I don't think the right guy is. But longer term, like the Celtics do have, um, like there there is going to be at some point, I would guess, a bigger swing to add someone to their nucleus, uh, and and. T- Brad Stevens has has given up a first round pick every season that he's been GM so far. He's traded away in three different trades, three first round picks, one for the Al, in the Al Horford trade, one in the Derek White trade, and one in the Malcolm Brogdon trade. But moving out beyond this draft, they have all their first round picks. Um and at some point, I think and it will take someone very good, like I don't even know if Ananobi's good enough um, for the type of package we're talking about because it would kind of be like pushing all the chips in the middle of the table. It would be giving away the flexibility to go after a, a depth piece like Brogdon, like White. Um, and and I, it's tough to find those kind of guys. But at some it, point, it would I, would not be, I would not be surprised if the Celtics go after like a young guy who can be part of their core next to Tatum Brown and probably smart Robert Williams moving forward. Well, yeah, I think that's like, it would be someone who kind of like replaces Al Horford. Cause as you mentioned, those four guys kind of seem like a, a pretty solid core and you'd want, if you're giving up multiple picks to kind of bring in someone who can fit with those other four guys in the starting lineup and Al Horford, as good as he's been is still um, quite old. 36 years old, I believe. And so it's like replacing him who can fit next to the cell, like the, the four Celtics and, and be a starter. I just don't think it's necessarily going to happen in this trade deadline, but yeah. I do know that um, Brad Stevens hates first round draft picks, hates scouting, uh, just doesn't want to make a first round pick. So mine's not uh, traded away. I think he just does it like, likes NBA ready players. And it makes sense with this uh, roster. It's like we have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. There's no reason to bring in a 19-year-old to 20-year-old kid who's going to need a bunch of time to develop. Like, uh, that's disrespectful to J.D. Davison, honestly. I think. Are you I just dismissing J.D. Davison? Are you saying there was no reason to bring him in? The man is averaging nine assists per game in the G League. Exactly. He's doing great in the G League. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think he, I don't think he's ready for big minutes uh, in the NBA next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think if you're giving away first-round draft picks and – or just in terms of team building in general, you want NBA ready guys because uh, you need to take advantage of the prime Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum years. 
and you need to try to go for a championship every year that those guys are together. And so there's just no time to waste on development. Like they're like, I think Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford could end up being pretty decent players, but there's just not an opportunity on the Boston Celtics for like, have them play through mistakes, mistakes, frequent mistakes are just not allowed on this Boston Celtics roster at this point. Uh, yeah. 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 I told Although you there were some pretty frequent mistakes at the beginning of the fourth last night. <laughs> there was pretty frequent mistakes throughout that game. Sheesh. Um, Sheesh. Throughout the game we got to talk about me and Josh B too. Well, that, that was going to be the primary discussion of the, uh, of the junk drawer. Uh, what a, what want, an electric moment. Yeah. For those folks out there, celebrity caller, Joshua B made his first appearance in TD garden ever, uh, and came by, got to talk to him at halftime. Um, the exact character you hear on anything is potable. It just translates directly uh, in person and just a celebrity in his own right. We had multiple people, multiple people walking by our discussion and recognize Joshua B from voice alone, which was just insane, but like also uh, amazing. And also not too surprising. Josh B is electric. Josh B is Caller of the year, caller of the century, caller, just a Hall of Fame caller. Um, does his own stuff on the side. And it, it was awesome to meet Josh. Honestly, I really appreciate the support he's given us. The The amount of times he's come just to listen to this show and hang out with us, ask us a question, the preparation he does for it, the the level of enthusiasm he brings to our show is just really cool. Um, and, and meeting him was awesome. So and it's also like always very surreal to meet people who are like, yeah, I'm a fan of your work. That's uh, you never like, I don't know. I don't like think about that as we're uh, doing this, but it's very cool and like humbling to have those kinds of experiences. It so. is not humbling. It is humbling. It's well, like, how wow. is it humbling that someone's a fan of your work that, that's ego boosting. It's like I didn't. It, I like, hate when people use humbling like that because, like, that's okay. not fucking humbling. That is literally the opposite of humbling. <laughs> I retract my point. I retract my use of the word humbling. That's just the go-to word to use in that scenario. And you're right. I didn't put a lot of thought into it. It is uh, is grounding the right word. Is it giving you perspective? I don't know. It's cool. It's a cool thing to do. It always makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but it's always like very cool to be like walk away from a fan interaction at the garden and be like, oh, I have a bigger like uh, impact on that person's life than I uh, was at all anticipating or thinking about. And he impacts ours and our show. He does. Um, I mean, he didn't ask us to sign a hard hat, which... Um, our, our good friend Fred Katz, friend of the program, uh, someone, a Knicks fan in Boston, had him sign a, a hard hat, which was, um, I w- do you think that was a humbling experience for Fred Katz? Or, no, Fred Katz is already pretty humble. Yeah, he's, we're, you're a pretty humble guy, too. Uh. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> I think you are at your, <laughs> I I think you are at your core. I am at, at your heart. core, you are, but I think you uh, put on a facade of, uh, braggadocio yeah I'm, I'm i'm fake cocky <laughs> i don't know if it's fake i just think it's uh uh emphasized a little bit 
played up. Yeah. Um, do, do you want to talk about the all-star game at all? Because I don't really. Jason Tatum made an all-star, all-star starter. Positions are dumb. Joel Embiid's not an all-star starter. Um, I don't know. Any takes I thought Jalen Brown had a case, too. I thought he had a chance, uh, um, but especially the fans love Kyrie. Yeah, Ky- the Kyrie thing. And Kyrie, just basketball-wise, deserves it. Um, but there was a lot of other stuff, especially this season, that came along with him. And Jalen Brown has uh, had a really good year. So he was second. He'll, he'll second be on the All-Star team after not making it last year, which in yeah. retrospect is kind of weird. But makes sense because they were under five hundred or around five hundred at that time, and he'd missed fifteen games or whatever it was. So, and but the Jason Tatum start normally, I would just kind of be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the guy, the guys he was competing against for three spots in the East, he had to earn that one. <laughs> like, it, it it was Embiid, Durant, and Giannis, and Tatum all all going for it. And it was interesting to see the the breakdown of the votes where players had Tatum fourth. And I don't think the players necessarily take it too seriously. I think no, uh, Chet Holmgren got four votes uh yeah, for All Star. They don't they don't always take it seriously. Their vote is typically, I think, like worst of the players, fans, and uh media. And then Tatum was what third in fans and first in media, so it was an interesting breakdown. Or second in media, I think. I don't know. I forget exactly what it was, but it was the media gave him the most respect. But it was—I mean, it was close. Those guys have just all had MVP caliber seasons. All four of those guys, and it's stupid that Tatum can't just play shooting guard. Yes, and and start a- all of them. Like the fact that Joel Embiid. We're doing this because of positions, right? Because of the stupid concept of positions. And then and then the center is Giannis, who's not really a center. And Joel Embiid is coming off the bench while averaging like 33 points a game. So what? obviously we should get rid of positions. Like it's just complete nonsense. But I also think they should just get rid of conferences. Like they they changed this game where it's like okay before the game each uh, the top vote getters are going to do a draft like live before the game. Well, why not just have the ten best players be part of that draft? Like why does conference matter? Why does position matter? Just have the ten leading vote getters. The top two guys become captains, and then you have a draft. Or I guess for the starters, then you have a draft for the whole rest of the thing. It's like it shouldn't matter. Just get the whatever twenty four best players in the league. And it's an exhibition. Just Joel Embiid should be starting. It should just be those four forwards and probably Donovan Mitchell. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Like why we've we've created this draft system so conference doesn't matter anymore. Then why does a conference matter for voting? It really should just be a showcase for the twenty four best players in the league. Figure out a way to get the twenty four best players in the league out there. You've got it all fixed. I do. I'm an ideas man. I'm a solutions man. Um, any junk from you, Jay, as I gather my notes about Knicks Celtics? Uh, not really. No. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm limited. I was, I was mostly going to talk about, uh, Joshua B. Um, shout out to Grandy and Max for, uh, their 2000 broadcast. 
that was pretty cool. Um, although they gave the Celtics gave them some pretty small trophies that were um, borderline insulting. But uh, it is cool that Grandy and Max have done it for so long, longer than uh, that's so many games. It's longer than um, Tommy and Mike, which is is kind of insane. Also, shout out they did like the Celtics did like a video just like talking about them randomly john corrales is in there no mention of like who he is no lower third but it was just john corrales talking about how he used to listen to games on the radio and it's old i thought that was a fun moment <laughs> uh jason tatum and jalen brown missed some two two homicidal dunks um that was fun well not really it would have been way cooler if they dunked them um that's about it wasn't wasn't the the junkiest of games out there oh uh, shout out to you, Jay King, for in the prediction podcast. You said that Julius Randle would have 40 points in this game and the Knicks would win. He only had 37, but I'm going to give it to you uh, for that one. Brilliant prediction. Good for me. Good for me. That's well Sometimes done. Sometimes you get him right. And then my final thing. He was amazing, um, by the way. He was really He was good. so good. Like, just knocking, like, knocking down threes, just the burst of energy to the basket, like, Getting guys in rotation is like him beating guys off the dribble. He's very good. He, I was I was debating whether he's the strongest man who can dribble in the NBA, and then I came up with probably Giannis. Um, but he's under, I don't know who's stronger. I mean, Giannis pound for pound. I don't know. That's a good debate. Like Stephen Adams is definitely the strongest man, but he can't dribble. Oh yeah, like he'll never um, be coming downhill at you where. Giannis, Julius Randle, LeBron, those guys will. It might be LeBron. It, I mean, that guy. Yeah, he's strong. a house. It could be uh, Luca. Honestly, Luca's way up there too, strength wise. Yeah. Uh, my final piece of junk um, is just Joe Missoula post game. Now he's just endlessly. <laughs> Endlessly entertaining to me. He's just like, ever since the somersault story, I just can't kind of get Joe Missoula's uh, antics out of my head. But like after losing this close game, he won. It was like very quick after the game. He like wanted to get through his media session. But he just had like a, a look in his eyes after this game that was, I got, it was a little bit scary. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen with Joe Missoula. He was not here to be questioned. He was, uh, was like very short Joe Missoula style answers and just a little bit of contempt for every reporter who was asking it, him anything. It was like <laughs> he didn't realize the game was over and he thought he had to like beat the writer. Yeah, it was like we he's walking in there like these people are my like, enemies. Like I need he, to vanquish them. He wasn't there to answer questions. He was there to defeat us. <laughs> 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 I really believe, and he came a lot quicker. It felt like, at least, than yeah, because he, he was excited does. to get out there and throw the first punch, and uh, and so he had clearly not like toned it down from from game compete mode, and uh, you can tell was... when he's really going when he doesn't even let the reporter finish their question. He just jumps all over. Like I think it happens with Corrales a bunch because Corrales likes to ask a kind of a a wordier question and then but uh missoula won't even let him finish we'll just be like nope we're playing better and i meant it like this and it's like oh okay there joe <laughs> uh and he didn't even normally he just snaps at someone and then like gives the the kind of polite follow-up answer he was not doing the polite follow-up answer uh in this game but he did have a bar to end his thing it's just like the corner's always going to be the corner 
The slot's always going to be the slot. Um, what what was the final part of that? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> then I told him he, he was kind of like Norman Dale. And uh, he's like, who's Norman Dale? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know when Norman Dale's like, the rim's 10 feet, like whatever. Like it's always going to be the same. He kind of he kind of did one of those. And then I was like, you never watch Hoosiers, man? He's like, oh, yeah, I watched Hoosiers. Sweet. I don't know if he. I don't know if he watched Hoosiers. I just think he realized that like he probably should have watched Hoosiers. But yeah, I don't like just you could tell when he walked up to that microphone. It was just like, oh, coach came to play today. The game is well over, but coach. Uh, yeah, because the, the first question was from Himmelsbach, like what went wrong early in the fourth quarter when you guys were fucking up all the time. It wasn't exactly where he like that, but. And he just had spacing, like literally two words, spacing and passing or something like that. And uh, <laughs> it was Buck with it was Buck looked at him like, "What the fuck, man? Like, could you please just try to answer my question?" And then asked it again, and basically asked him to expand on it. And he's like, "No, no, just just that, like <laughs> spacing and passing." <laughs> well, and then then was Buck tried a third time, and uh, still like nothing more. So that set the well, tone. That, he then, really came out and set the tone. It was like he was in defensive mode. He he was he was gonna lock down. Well, then there Wash would be no buckets question. on Joe Mazzulla last <laughs> night. Wash asked the question, and it's like a, like I don't remember exactly what it was, but then Mazzulla like completely didn't answer the question. Didn't like even re- like reference the point Gary was trying to make. And then there's this like this like four extra pauses afterwards where Gary was like really. And then it was clear Missoula wasn't going to proceed anymore. And it was just like Celtics PR was quickly like trying to get it to another reporter. It was just a delightfully tense moment. As someone who's uh, just an observer in these situations, it was it made me laugh uh, after the game. Yeah, my headphones just went out. So uh, if I perfect time, bit, that's why. Per- perfect time to end the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Shout out to Joshua B for making the appearance in person. Shout out to everyone joining us here on the Athletic app. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Anything is Possible! Yes, sir. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.